Joshua Kids is our community outreach organization committed to the youth and families of Lorraine, Ohio. Our program has been successfully servicing the community and thousands of children for the past 30 years. Many of the children in our program are exposed to many negative things in their home lives and many a times are not able to navigate through them. The goal of Joshua Kids is to equip the children in our program to not only navigate through their lives, but to have a true understanding of who they are and transcend their environments to be able to reach back and help their families and the generations to come. Over the past 30 years, we have seen lives transformed and miraculous stories of success because of the faithfulness of our sponsors. Being able to not only financially support, but to invest time and attention and to pour into our kids has resulted in generational blessings to come from brokenness. Thank you for your faithfulness over the past 30 years of Joshua Kids, and we look forward to what God will do through your partnership with this life-changing ministry. After you pick up your card, we need you to keep this picture so that you can pray over this child every single day with your family. And this card, we need you to take and fill out all of the information while you're sitting there. And before you leave today, please drop this card in the foyer in a box near the letters, the giant JK letters, so that we can connect all the um, vital information to you, their sponsor. Again, thank you for being a blessing to our Joshua kids. All right, all right. Good afternoon, everybody. You having a good day so far? Man, after being in worship like that, I don't know if you can continue to have a bad day, right? Man, when the Lord just shows up, it's such an amazing thing. So this is what we're going to do. So with this, these Joshua Kids cards, we want to continue to make sure that we're covering all the needs up here with our JK program. Um, so after service, when I dismiss, I'll invite you to come up. You can look over, pray over, pick one up, and then you can fill out the information. The box is um, right by the green wall outside. You'll see it. So it's going to be awesome. Well, I'm really excited to be with you today. I'm excited to share this message with you because I feel like this has been something that the Lord has been doing with me, and it's kind of been one of those North Star moments, right? So it's a very clear North Star picture of how you should position your life. You know, a lot of times when we, we preach, we talk about different things. It's like, yeah, that sounds good, but, but what do I do? How do I do that? How do I achieve that, right? And today, hopefully, you'll be able to leave here with some very practical understanding on how to structure your Christian life. So what I want to do is I want to introduce this message. The title of my message today is this, The Art of Knowing. Can we say that together? The Art of Knowing. And if you have your Bible, anybody have their Bible, your paper Bible with you? Come on, you, get, you know you get extra bonus points for your paper Bible. Happy birthday, Eileen. Big happy birthday to Eileen, everybody. It was her birthday yesterday. Woo happy birthday. Any other birthdays in the house? Because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. If I do one, you got to do all of them. Who's? Elliot's birthday. Happy birthday. Race your birthday. Happy birthday. Any other birthdays? Any other birthdays? Happy birthday. A big happy birthday to everybody in the world whose birthday it is today. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, if you have your Bible, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to start at verse 31. So Jeremiah 31, 31. Um, Pastor Kyle told us this morning that he was in the book of Jeremiah, which is amazing. I mean, there's only so many books, so it's bound to happen at some point. But I'm in the book of Jeremiah right now, and the Lord's just doing some great things. Um, before we read the scripture verse, though, I want you to take out your phone. If you already have it out, it's good. Take out your phone, and you can open the Church on the North Coast app. If you go to the Church on the North Coast app, you can go there. A little bit down on the home page, you'll see, uh, or go down to media, I think it is, media, the media tab, and then you're going to go to sermon notes. You'll see sermon notes there, um, and then, yep, you can see down bottom, middle, it's like the middle left side of the screen. It says media. You go to sermon notes, you'll see my name, Dominic Whitfield. Click that, and you'll have all of my notes for this message. You can follow along. Um, you can save it and do whatever you want with it. If you want, I don't care. Um, but here we go. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. The Bible says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34 says this, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. And this is where we see the heart of the Father right here. This is the, this is the heart of God. From the beginning of, of, of creation, this is the heart of God. For they all shall know me. This is his desire, this is his intention from the beginning of all things was that he would be known by his people. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And Here's what I want us to understand today, church. God's desire is not just to know us, but to also be known by us. You know, oftentimes we talk about this and we, we, we talk about this reality and it's, it's a very intimidating, to say the least, reality that at one point in time, every single one of us will stand before Jesus and have to give an account of our life and he will say one of two things to us. He'll either say, well done, my good and faithful servant, come in, or he'll say, I don't know you. And it's intimidating and it's a sobering thought. And so we, pray, we place a lot of f- emphasis around this in our faith that we have, to, we have to be known by God, right? Does anybody want to be known by Jesus? We want to be known by Jesus. But, but, there's, but there's an equally important part of that equation that God doesn't just want to know you. He wants to be known by you. It's the, sa- it's the other side of the same coin. It's impossible to be known by somebody without them being without them knowing you, right? I know that's a little tricky, but like, for, for example, me and my wife, I can't just know my wife without her knowing me also. And this is the heart of the Father, not that we would just be known by Jesus, that he would write his, his, our name in his book of life and we can go to heaven, but he desperately desires for you to know who he is. You know, in fact, Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, getting ready to die on the cross, he prays this prayer to the Father, and he says this in John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life. This is what Jesus equates eternal life to. We equate it to to heaven and, and being happy and having a mansion and all this fun stuff, but this is what Jesus equates eternal life to. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the entirety of who we are, not just as believers, but as people, that we might know the one true living God. This is why we exist. And so the idea of my message today, this is the point that I want to get get across to, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The act of knowing the Lord must be at the center of every believer's life. The act of knowing the Lord as a verb, as as something that you and I do every day, the act of knowing the Lord must be at the center of every believer's life. And I know that's a bit of a bold statement and an ambitious statement because, you know, I see you about once a week. And so you can say, Pastor, how are you going to tell me what to do with the other six days of my life? I only see you once a week, right? But, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not asking you to just only read your Bible and do nothing else. Don't go to work. Don't talk to your kids. Just only read your Bible all day. It's not what I'm talking about. This is what I'm saying. In everything that you do, your motivation has to be, Lord, how can I know you? And even to the point, when you get really good at this, even to the point of finding the Lord in your pain and in your hurt, that's when you know you're really getting good at this, when you can go through life's most difficult moments and still look for Jesus. I want to share this, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but this is such an impactful, impactful testimony. Um, Bill Johnson just lost his wife, Benny, Benny Johnson's, right, right, just passed away. Um, a few months ago, and, and he, he stood up a couple days after his wife had passed, and he gave this incredible testimony with tears in his eyes, and he said this. He said, I, I'm, I'm giving thanks to the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping the Lord because there's a reality that I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of, that when I get to heaven, there will be no pain. There will be no hurt. There will be no discouragement. There will be no discomfort. So I'm at a unique opportunity right now in the midst of life's most difficult pain he said, I can worship the Lord in spite of my pain. 
you're not going to have that opportunity forever. Because one day, you and I will stand in heaven before the Lord. He's going to wipe away every tear. You're not going to have any more pain, any more discomfort. And so the maturity of a Christian is to say, even as I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil, but I can also still glorify the name of the Lord because I know that even in the midst of my pain, he can be found and he can be known. And sometimes we get so isolated in tunnel vision, not just through difficult moments, but in every moment of life, we can get so consumed with what we have going on that we can forget to know the Lord. So my goal today is that I can convince you as your pastor to restructure your life around this one idea to know the Lord. So there's two questions specifically that I want to answer today. I want to ask them and then I want to answer them. The first question is this, why should I live to know him? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I'm gonna, we're going to go over that. Why? All right, pastor, if you're going to tell me I need to construct my entire life around knowing him, why should I live my life to know him? Because for all the Bible scholars out there, we understand the scripture verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says this, that for now we know in part and, and we see in part, but when we're perfected, we're going to be known just as we are known fully. So why, Dominic, should I give my life to knowing an unknowable God? Why should I live my life here on earth to know something that I cannot know and will not know until I get to heaven? Sounds like a big waste of time. <laughs> and that's a valid thought. It's a valid argument. But over the course of the next few moments, I want to answer this question for you. The second question we're going to talk about is this. How do I know him? How do I know someone that you can't see, you can't hear, you can't touch? How can I know someone that I'm only able to access through this, through this mental exercise of faith? That's like trying to know the tooth fairy. <laughs> it's like trying to know Santa Claus, right? It's, there's, no, there's no tangible ability to know. So how do I know a God that I cannot see, that I cannot touch, that I, that I cannot hear oftentimes? So we're going to answer that as well. But before we dive in, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill this room. Jesus, we thank you that you don't just want to know who we are so that you can keep a record to know whether or not to let us into heaven, but you desire to be known by us. That at the center of your heart, God, was this great desire to be known so you formed Adam out of the dust. You breathed your life into him, and you gave him free will. You gave him the ability to reject you so that you would have potentially somebody who had the genuine desire to know you. And in this moment, God, we want to respond to that genuine desire that you have. And we say, God, we want to know you. Holy Spirit, according to your word in Ephesians 1.17, would you bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you, so that we can see you, that you, the knowledge of the Lord would be revealed to us today. Would you bless our time together? In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen. amen, amen. So first question, why should I live to know him? Turn to your neighbor and ask him, why should you live to know him? Why should you do it? Here you go. You ready? I'm going to give you three reasons. Here's the first one. Here, go to the next one. Beep. One more. Nice. There we go. Here's the first reason. You ready? If you're taking notes, jot this down. The first reason is this. The knowledge of the Lord guards your heart and life from sin and unrighteousness. We're going to break this down in a second, but I really want us to like wrap our minds around this because we're conditioned to believe that it is our efforts, it's our striving, it's our willpower, it's our strength that guards our heart. Let me tell you, at the beginning, there's, this, there's, there's your steps to this, but at the beginning of everything, the knowledge of the Lord is what guards your heart and your life from sin 
and unrighteousness. It's knowing God. Let me show you where this is at. It's in the book of Jeremiah. Again, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 4, if you have your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. And before we read it, what I want to do is set up a little bit of context. Because um, Pastor Kyle talked a little bit. I think you, you were talking about this in our meeting, not on the stage. I can't remember. But you were giving us some context about the book of Jeremiah and how um, Jeremiah happens and he prophesies kind of at the end of the, of the reign of Israel, if you will, the independence of Israel and Judah. And what happens is for about 400 years, Israel, Judah, they divide and, the, and there's a bunch of kings and they're rebelling from God. If, you, if you've ever read First uh, and Second Kings and First and Chronicles, right? Remember this, where, where a king will come along and he'll, he'll encourage the people and say, serve the Lord. And then they serve the Lord for like 30 minutes and then it just seems like they turn away and they do their own thing and, and then something bad happens and then it's just a cycle, right? And so at the end of this cycle, God is so fed up with it that he sends basically Jeremiah to give them one last warning. And Jeremiah is the final prophetic voice to the nation of Israel before they are seized by Babylon and they're taken away into captivity. And this is the theme throughout the book of Jeremiah. You ready? It's not necessarily that they were doing evil things. God, God talks about their wickedness. He talks about their actions. But before he talks about what they do, he talks about who they've known. And this is powerful, and we can't miss this. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22. For my people are foolish. They have not known me. They have not known me. He didn't say my people are foolish, they're doing wicked things. That's not what he said first. He said they, they're foolish because they have not known me. They are silly children. Does anybody have silly children? I got three silly children, right? Amen. Here we go. And they have no understanding. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. So this is what this looks like in, in the context of like what actually happened, right? So the children of Israel, what they do is they, like, they go through these cycles where they say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to know you. And they give all of their attention and effort to the Lord. And then what happens is they see some gods that the Canaanites around them are worshiping, and they, they turn from knowing the Lord, and they say, well, let me, just, let me just see what this god Baal is all about, right? I'm not going to go worship him. That would be crazy, but let me just go know him. Let me gather some information. Let me extend a little bit of this effort that I'm putting to knowing the Lord. Let me just know sin for a little bit. And they know sin, and before they know it or realize it, their heart and their behavior follow what they, what they desire to know. And as they desire to know unrighteousness, they, their heart and their behavior turns from God. He says, they don't know me, but they know evil. Now, let me put this in the context of, of how we might understand it in, in a relationship like us. And I know this is kind of a, a sensitive topic, so I don't, don't mean to make light of this or, or really use this in any way, but it's, it's a serious, serious reality that when we had a marriage conference a few week, weekends ago, and we talked about infidelity, right, and unfaithfulness in marriage. And, and here's the reality of infidelity. It doesn't normally happen in one day. That, that doesn't just happen. The reality of infidelity in marriage is this, that your, your, your husband and your wife, you guys get into an argument, a fight, something happens where, where there's this shutting off, there's this discouragement or, or offense, and there's this closing off from one another. And then what happens is there's this knowing of someone else. There's this knowing of maybe somebody at work or somebody online or somebody at your gym. And, and, and it's, it's innocent at first. All it is, it's this shutting off of your spouse and this opening up to someone else in a conversation, even in a thought, even in, in a, a view. And as you, as you stop being known by the person you should be known and know, by, know with, you start being known by somebody else. And it's in that moment that infidelity happens. And what happens is infidelity, if it's not checked, will breed and lead to an affair. And it doesn't generally happen in one day. Sometimes it takes weeks or months or maybe even years of this slow transition from knowing one person to just, oh, yeah, let's just vent a little bit. I just want to, yeah, man, my, my husband is, uh, my wife is, uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, I would never treat you that way. And it's just these little, little chipping away. And then eventually the heart and the behavior turn. So when you and I 
know the Lord, what it does is it guards your heart from unrighteousness and sin. It guards your heart from the evil that the world has to offer. In a crowd this size, I don't think that it's absurd to assume that many people in here struggle with very difficult things in their life. It's not, it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an overestimate, over, it's, I don't think I'm overestimating when I say there's probably a lot of men in this room that struggle with pornography. There might be a lot, a lot of women in this room that struggle with pornography. There might be a lot of people in this room that struggle with substance abuse or whatever the case is, whatever your struggle is. I, I know we're Christians, I know we love the Lord, I know we're at church and, and, and it's not fun to talk about this stuff at church, but the reality is, is that many people struggle Because we have boiled down our relationship with God to a couple minutes on Sunday and we don't know the Lord. And because we don't know the Lord, our heart is turned from him. Now let me, I'm going to be vulnerable here and I'm going to let you see how this has affected me in my life, right? So I I had an addiction to pornography years ago, right? So I, I understand that I'm susceptible in that area. And so <clears throat> recently, I've been, I've been really getting into fitness and, and working out, and I'm like really into the gym. You know, can't you tell? I'm like, my muscles are huge. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I've been really into working out, right? And so when I get on Instagram and I'm scrolling through Instagram, I interact with different workout videos, right? I'm like, you know, there's a couple people that I follow that, that give some good workout advice, whatever the case is. But, but what I quickly realized is that there is a whole, like, there's a, a ton of these, these young, cute girls who like to post pictures and videos of themselves working out in their underwear. In these skin-tight shorts and, and sports bras. And, and, and because it's the same world that I'm like into now, every once in a while I'll scroll and I'll see this, this you know, really beautiful girl just, just working out in her underwear. And, and because, of, because of where I came from, I have to be careful. If I extend knowledge and attention to that place and I shut off my knowledge of the Lord. Listen, I don't believe that just scrolling through and seeing something like that is a sin. I don't, I don't punish myself for that. That's nothing like terrible. But, but the truth is, if I entertain that and pursue the knowledge of that, I know where it leads. It leads to death. And it's in that moment, and I, I, I pray that I'm not like ruining these little girls' lives. But when I see those, when I see those things scroll, I always report them to Instagram. <laughs> you know, like you can report it, you know? And I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm not like getting these girls kicked off of Instagram. Maybe they should be kicked off. I don't know, I don't report them. But like you can say, I don't want to see this post. You know, I don't want to see this. And you might say, well, Pastor, that's a bit extreme and that's a bit whatever. But but this is but this is what we have to understand. We are wondering why. Why do I have this struggle with pornography? Why do I struggle with this? Well, let's take it a step further back. What are you allowing yourself to know? Because if you're entertaining these trivial things that aren't a big deal, that's the door that's left open in your life that pornography is able to walk through. Because it's never just making a mistake. It's never just falling into sin. It's always guarding your heart with integrity to block off the attack of the enemy. Because when you just creak that door open a little bit, and the devil knocks it down. And as Christians, this is how we do it. You ready? This is how we guard our heart. We know the Lord. And we say, I don't want to know anything about the world. <laughs> I don't want any information about the world. I want to know him. Let me show you how David puts it. I love this. I love how David puts it in Psalms 119. This is what he says. How can a young man in Psalms 119, chapter, 9, chapter 119, verse 9 through 11, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wonder wonder from your commandments. Watch this. This is so powerful. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. David, how is the word of God in your life going to help you not sin? Because David understood what I know, what I behold, what I look at, what I focus on is where my life goes. It's the direction in which I move. And if I meditate and hide the word of God in my heart, the word of God will, will protect me from sin. And this is, this is why, remember you asked me that really great question a few moments ago, why should I give my life to knowing the Lord? 
Because if, when you do, when you give your life to knowing the Lord as a Christian, you protect yourself from unrighteousness and sin. And I want to say this in here. If you're in this room and you're struggling with anything, any sin, you just insert it, right? If you're struggling with anything, this is the starting point. This is priority number one. This is where you go to, right? If you're struggling with something, then what you need to do is stop knowing that thing and start knowing the Lord. That's step number one, okay? That's going to, man, I believe that that's going to produce freedom in your life. So that's number one. Number two, number two, this is the second thing. Knowing God reveals who you are. This is the beautiful thing about God. God is not egotistical and he doesn't need pursuit. He doesn't need us to pursue him, right? He has a desire for it, but like you trying to know God is not like making God's day. He's not like, oh, yay, finally I can be God because they want to know me. That's not what we're, we're experiencing here. God understands that you knowing him is the best thing that you can do. Because when you know God, you know yourself. Because we live in a culture, a day and age, that has, you know, a billion self-help books that you can go pick up at Barnes & Noble, right? They, there's podcasts and videos, and we're obsessed in our culture with being the best version of of ourselves, right? We want to be the best business owner. We want to make the most money. We want to, we want to, um, we, we, we want to optimize our potential and we want to all those, you know, keyword phrases. We want to grow and do all this stuff, right? We're obsessed with, with being the best version of ourselves. The problem is we're not going to the right place to become the best version of ourselves, right? It's not, it's not Gary Vee's podcast that teaches you how to be the best business person. It's the person of the Lord. And when you know the Lord, you become the best version of yourself. And, and I want you to see this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, watch, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That word beholding there literally means this in, 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 uh, in the Greek there. It means this, to look at as in a reflection. To look at as in a mirror, Right? And this is the beautiful thing. When we behold the Lord, when you pursue the Lord, when you know the Lord, then you know yourself. Why? Because the Bible says that you are made in his image. And here's the truth. We are fallen, right? We're broken. But what we have to understand is that Jesus, even though he didn't fill a lot of the roles in our world, like even though Jesus was never a father, even though Jesus was never a mother, right? Even though Jesus was never a golfer, I believe that Jesus would have beat Tiger Woods 10 out of 10 times, right? He would have been the best golfer in the world. He would have been the best father in the world. He is the best of us. Do you, anybody believe that? Yeah. Okay, just making sure I'm in the right place. Jesus is the best of what humanity has to offer. And so if you and I want to optimize who we are and become better people, we should look at the best. We should know the best. And as we know the best, we are transformed into his image. We are made to look like him. I, I, I want us to kind of take this analogy here. Knowing the artist reveals more about the painting. I remember sitting in school, right, and you're in English class, and your teachers would tell you to read these books, and it seems like there was always a deeper meaning, right? It's like you read, and it's like the curtains were green, and they're like, well, well let's pause. Why were the curtains green? It's like, I don't know. The curtains were just green. Why do you got to always figure stuff out, right? It always seems like there's this deeper meaning. It's like, just, they're just green. What other color would they be? So, so you read it, right? But I remember in English class, oftentimes, to understand the book better or the art better, what we would do is we would look at the author or the painter, and we would understand what was going on in their life at the time to get a glimpse into their project. And this is what we have to understand as Christians, that Knowing the artist reveals more about the painting, and knowing God reveals more about his creation, which is you. When you know God, you know yourself, because he is the author. He is the painter. He is the one that knit you together when you were still in your mother's womb. He is the one that knows you better than you know yourself. So when you know him, you actually know yourself. There's this incredible parenting advice that I received uh, recently, and I'm, I'm putting it in my back pocket. I'm going to use it when my kids get ready to go off to college, okay? And if, if any parents are in the room and you want to you use this too, go ahead. I think it's brilliant, right? Um, but th but, often, but the, the story was this dad, his son was going off to college, and, and his son had a difficult time choosing what major he was going to go into, and he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, right? 
And, and that, that's a pretty common problem at that age. You know, you know, science says that for us guys, unfortunately, our brains don't fully develop until you're 25 years old. So I have successfully had five years of a, f- a f- fulfilled brain, of a full brain, you know, <laughs> which I'm, I'm going to throw a party. You know, it's going to be great. Um, but sometimes, you know, at 18 years old, people don't know what they want to do with their life. And so the father said this. A lot of times I know it's a point of contention in the home, right? Where the dad says, no, you're going to go do this. You're going to go be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. And he's like, no, I want to get my degree in poetry. I don't want to do that, right? No offense for anybody that got their degree in poetry. No offense. But, but it's just contrasting, right? But, but this is what the father said. He, said. he said this. He said, son, listen, I will support you no matter what you choose to do. But until, watch this, until you figure out what you want to do with your life, would you mind, would you, would you mind letting me give you some advice? Would you mind let, letting me, your father, who knows you from the time you were born, point you in the right direction? And then when you find the direction you want to go in, I'll support it. Do you know how beautiful that is? That is a picture of the father. It's saying this, listen, listen, I formed you, I know you, I created you, I know you have all these dreams and ambitions, but if you would come to me, I'll point you in the right direction because I know what would really fulfill you more than you even know yourself. And when we commit our lives, remember, you asked me that great question a few moments ago. Why should I know the Lord? Because when you know the Lord, you really know yourself. If you're wondering, why am I here? Why was I created? What am I supposed to do? There's a really easy answer for that. Know the Lord. Know the Lord, and you'll find that out. Amen? Here's the third thing I want to share with you. When you know him, he will reveal your future. When you know him, he will reveal to you your future. Has anybody ever in your life been worried about your future before? All of us, right? We've all had some concern, some question, some thought about our future. God, what does life look like on the other side of this? What, man, this happened with me. How am I going to get over this? The, our future is such a point of anxiety and worry. And I truly believe, you know, I said it a few moments ago during worship. I truly believe that today the Lord really wants to rid his people of anxiety and worry. And I feel like this is one of the first steps in doing that. That when we know God, he will reveal to us our future. And if not reveal to us our future, he will reveal and give us the trust and faith we need to have in him to commit our future to him. I want to show you this familiar scripture verse in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, In all your ways, acknowledge him. Everybody say, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him, him, and he shall direct your paths. Has anybody heard this before? Right? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Growing up in church, I've heard this a lot. And oftentimes, what I've interpreted this to mean is that I need to just mention, with a little asterisk on my paper, mention God in my plans, and he'll make them happen. I know, it's kind of silly, right? But, but that word acknowledge, right, will throw you off because there's a reality where I can acknowledge Pastor Kyle and I can say, hey, I just want to acknowledge that Pastor Kyle gave a great word earlier. Didn't he give a great word earlier? That was amazing, right? So that's my acknowledgement to him. I acknowledge you. And then I'm going to move on with my life, right? And, and this scripture verse does not mean that. That's not, what, that's not what Solomon was writing when he instructed us to acknowledge the Lord and he shall direct your path. But the problem is a lot of us set up our future this way. We take a pen and take some paper and we write our plans out and then we say, hey God, you're in this. I put you in, I put you in my plans, man. I put you in here. Once a week, every Sunday from 12 to 1.30, you're in my plans. I acknowledge you. Can you, can you do this now? It's my acknowledgement of you. But that's not what the scripture verse is really saying. When you look at that word acknowledge, that word in the Hebrew is this, yada. Go ahead to the next one, yada. And that's how it's spelled. And I don't, I don't know why it's spelled like that. But it's spelled yada, not a Hebrew scholar. But it literally means this, to know, notice, hear of, learn, to reveal, be or become known, or to realize. So, so really what that scripture verse is saying is not just to mention God in your plans and he's going to make their plans happen. What it's really saying is when you know God, he shall direct your path. When you know him, he will take your future and he will guide you in it. 
Now I want to take a look at everybody's favorite version of the Bible here. I know we joke around. This is the women's translation of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. In the amplified version, everybody say amen. Amen for the amplified version. We had to run to this one to, to get a little bit of credibility. It says this, in all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize him. That's a little fuller of a meaning, right? Because the truth is, this is not just my plans mentioning God. It's in all my ways. Everything that I do, everything that I do to prepare for my future, everything that I do as a father, as a husband, as, as an employee, everything that I do as an athlete, as somebody that, that enjoys food, right? Whatever the case is, everything that I do, I must pursue the knowledge of him. And when I do that, I can sit back and have faith that he's going to direct my path. I can sit back and know I've done my part. I've known God. I've acknowledged him. I've realized him and I can trust that he will take care of my future. I can trust that he will guide my path. I can trust that with him because that man, this happened in worship and it's so beautiful because when we know the goodness of God, we have faith in his future goodness. Like I love the songs that we sang when we, even when Pastor Emily went off and started singing, you are good. You are good. Oh, oh, you are good, right? When we sing that song, what we're doing is we're, we're reflecting backwards and we're saying, I see all of this stuff that you did and it was all good. And because I've known you in my past, I'm declaring your goodness in my future. I'm declaring that my future is exciting. It's not dreadful. My future fills me with joy, not anxiety. My future fills me with faith, not worry. Why? Because you are good, you are good, whoa, whoa, right? Because how good God is. We've experienced and we've known his goodness, so we have comfort when it comes to our future, amen? So those are the three ways that you, the three reasons why you should live to know him. Now I'm gonna give you really quickly a couple, uh, we're gonna answer this question really quickly. How do I know him? How do I know him? Look at your neighbor and ask him that. How do I know him? How do you know somebody that's unknowable, right? How do I know him? This is going to be really, really quick, okay? The first way to know God is desire. Everyone say desire. 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 This is how, this is, this is primarily the best way to know God, to want to know God. <laughs> how do you know God? You want to know him. Well, what does that look like? Have in your heart, have in your mind this prayer that says, man, God, I'd like to know you. <laughs> And I know you're sitting there saying it can't be that simple, but it is, I promise you, and I'll show you in a second. But when you start with desire, God fills the desire. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall, for they shall be filled. Right? So when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. When you hunger and thirst for the Lord, when you seek after God, when you, when you desire him, he reveals himself. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible, is in Acts chapter 10, it's a story of a man named Cornelius. Does anybody remember this? Cornelius, he wasn't a Jew, he, he was in, in the Roman army, and he was a Gentile. And he, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10, that he desired God. It says this, that he would give alms to the poor, that he would pray regularly, that he would, he would pursue God, right? And I love this because I'm sure... Cornelius did not know what he was doing. <laughs> I'm sure he just didn't really know the right prayers to pray because we, we like to be calculated, right? Well, pastor, tell me exactly how to pray to God. What book exactly should I read in the Bible? How do I do this exactly? There is no exact, it's just desire. It's just this point in your heart where you say, man, I really want to please God. I really want to know God. And Cornelius had this. I'm sure he was screwing it up and doing a bunch of wrong things and maybe believed um, it, improperly about who God was. But God looked down from heaven and the Bible says that Cornelius had built before God a monument of faith. <laughs> a monument of faith. And as God looked down, he didn't see the way that Cornelius erred in his prayers, right? He didn't see how Cornelius misquoted scripture or, or, or didn't give enough. No, no, no. He saw desire. And do you know what God did? I believe that Cornelius, this is what I believe, Pastor Clarence, and you, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that God wasn't ready for the Gentiles to have the Holy Spirit. I believe that, I believe that he wasn't planning on it. I believe that God was going to use Paul, Saul, to exclusively 
exclusively let the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit, right? It was through his ministry that the Gentiles would receive. I believe Cornelius threw a wrench in God's plans. <laughs> I believe that, that through Cornelius' desire of God, God said, I can't wait for Paul. I've got to do something about this because this man is dying to know me. And he goes down and he interrupts Peter and gives Peter this incredible vision and has to, has to literally has to reframe Peter's theology. He, God takes time to reframe Peter's theology just so that Peter would be in the same room as Cornelius. And Peter goes to his house and the Bible says that as Peter's still preaching, the Holy Spirit falls, not just on Cornelius, but on his entire family, everybody that was in that room. What was the reward for Cornelius' desire? It was more of God. It was the knowledge of God through the Holy Spirit. When you and I desire God, when we have this thing in our heart that says, God, I don't know the right words to pray. I don't know what Bible verse to read. I just want to know you. He answers that desire. He'll send somebody from across the world to, to show you who God is. He'll move mountains to fill the desire that you have to know him. So if you truly want to know the Lord, desire him. This is how you do it. You desire him. Here's the second thing you do. You get really close to the Holy Spirit. You develop such an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is this important? Because the Holy Spirit's called the comforter. He's called the helper. And he makes you pray in, in funny noises. He does all of that stuff, right? The Holy Spirit does all of that stuff. And it's beautiful. And he's here to assist us and to really help us out in our time of need. I'm not taking any of that away. But when Jesus described the Holy Spirit, he didn't mention any of those things. When Jesus described the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, he says this, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Verse 14, here's the kicker. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. This is what I believe is the primary role of the Holy Spirit on the earth is to glorify Jesus. The primary reason for the Holy Spirit is not to help you remember where you put your car keys. Like he does that, right? He's our helper. And my grandma used to do it all the time. Nana, she would, I would hear her pray some wild prayers like, Holy Spirit, where's my credit card? And then crazy enough, she would find it. The Holy Spirit would show her where her credit card was and it was wild, right? But, but that is not the apex of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Come on now. The apex of your relationship with the Holy Spirit is this. Holy Spirit, would you show me Jesus? Would you reveal to me Jesus and the Holy Spirit unveils your eyes in various ways so that you can see Jesus. This is what he's here to do. He's here to glorify Jesus. And here's a couple ways. The last two are a couple ways that the Holy Spirit does that. Pastor Dan, you can come up if you want. Here's, a lot, here's, a, here's the next one, the word, the word of God. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to know the Lord, if you have a desire to know him, here's how you do it, the word of God. You read the word of God. You consume the word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of, of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of God. And I'm not just talking about, okay, I don't mean to offend anybody, but the, the one scripture verse a day on the Bible app is not, that doesn't count. That's not enough. You know why it's not enough? Because you don't take one bite of a cheeseburger and then say you're good for the rest of the day, right? <laughs> it doesn't come lunchtime and you're like, okay, I'm good. Uh, that's enough. I'm full. No, that doesn't happen, right? You devour the whole thing. And in the same way, your spirit needs a little bit more food than just a little bite of a cheeseburger, okay? So, you know, I was talking to Pastor Clarence the other day and he was, uh, Pastor Clarence and I and Desiree were all talking and he was saying that, that he reads seven chapters of the Bible a day. Now, correct me, three in the Old, four in the New? Three in the Old Testament, four in the New Testament, right? That's amazing. That's a lot of, that's a lot of reading. And I, don't, I wouldn't say that you need to start there. If, you, if you're not reading the Bible, maybe don't start with seven, 10, 12, 15 chapters, right? But one verse isn't enough. And I would say this, that you need to at least, at bare minimum, read one chapter. You should be closer to three to five chapters a day. But what does that, what does that do? What does that do? When you read the Bible, it's not just... Okay, all right, Pastor Dominic, I can send him a text and tell him I read my Bible today. I don't care about that. 
But when you approach the word of God, you approach the word of God with the Holy Spirit and you say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to me? And when you do that, I'm telling you, when you do that and you begin to read the words, the words become, they come alive to you and you know God. And it's not just this just reading just to read, but it's this reading to know. It's this reading, like these things don't work independently of, of each other. It's reading with desire, with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like reading with all of these things that makes the word of God come alive. You know, the devil knows the word of God better than probably any Christian on this planet. But that's not going to help him out much. <laughs> it's not enough just to read the words, but you have to allow the words to come alive and to change you. So that's the word of God. Here's the last thing, and I want to I share this last thing with you because I think that this, if you can get to this place as a Christian, it's one of the most exciting places to live in, but a lot of people have it wrong. They have it twisted and they have it a little bit distorted, but the world, this is, this is the last place. How do you know the Lord, the world? And I don't mean like the fleshly world. I mean the environment, the physical world, right? In Romans chapter one, verse 20, Paul says this, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Now listen to that. That's, that's, a really, that's a really powerful statement. He says that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, attributes are clearly seen. They're on display in creation. Even his eternal power and his Godhead are on display so that they are without excuse. This is, this is how the world distorts this. And I'm going to give you the distortion first. There are people on this planet who worship crystals. Right? It's kind of weird. There's people on this planet that worship the sun and worship the, the ocean and, and all this weird stuff, right? But, but they're not, and hear me when I say this, they're not far off because God has placed his incredible eternal attributes in creation so that when we see the sun, we're taken back and we're saying, we say, look at that beautiful sunset. Now the world, they mess it up and they start worshiping the sunset. But, but for us, we look at the sunset and we say, what a creator that we have. What a good God that we have, right? We, we see the beauty around us and it helps us to know God more. Like there's, I was having a conversation with my stepdad, Adrian, and he was telling me that through his studies, he's researching different theologies that people have. And there's some weird theology that people have about like water in the ocean. And, and that he says that there's some beliefs that like people say that God is water, you know, like it's kind of weird. Like they don't necessarily worship water, but it's like that God is water and God is the clouds and God is, no, 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 that's not, that's not true. Again, close, but not true. God is in those things, but those things aren't God. And I can't lie to you, when I stand on the, on the edge of the beach and I look out at the, the Pacific Ocean and I see its vastness and I'm reminded of the endlessness of God, right? I'm reminded of the depth that I'll never even reach. You know what's crazy? That we know more about outer space than we know about our own oceans. That's like an impressive science fact, but it's more than that. It's a picture of God. It's a picture of that. No matter how smart we think we are, we'll never reach the depths of understanding who he is, right? So creation, God placed himself in creation, and we should utilize creation not to worship, but to know God more, amen? That's why creation exists, so that we can know the reflection of who God is. So do me a favor, as we close today, stand to your feet with me. And I want to close this service by all praying this prayer together. We're going to pray this prayer that comes out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And it was a prayer that's been on my heart this week. <coughs> Sorry. Let me take a drink of water. This prayer has been on my heart. If you want to write this down or maybe take a picture or whatever you want to do, it's on the app as well. And maybe I want you to pray this prayer every day. And you don't have to, you know, quote it, but I want you to pray something like this every day, right? Remember, the idea of the message is this, that we would structure our life around knowing God. So this should be something that we, that we say to God every day, that, that we expose our desire. But Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And the prayer is this, Lord, fulfill your word in my life. I desire to be filled with the knowledge of your glory.
So can we read that whole thing together one time before we leave? Let's start it for the earth. You ready? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Lord, fulfill your word in my life. I desire to be filled with the knowledge of your glory. So Jesus, in this moment, we desire you. We desire to know you. Would the knowledge of the Lord guard our hearts and our minds from all wickedness, all sin, all unrighteousness, God? It's not our efforts. It's not our will. It's not how good of a Christian we are. But it's the fact that we know you, Jesus. Would the knowledge of Jesus Christ guard our hearts now? Jesus, we love you, and we desire to know you. And so I pray right now, Ephesians 1.17, over every single person in this room, that the Spirit, that the Father of our Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of Him. Let the spirit of wisdom and understanding rest on our shoulders all of our days, that everywhere we go, everything that we do would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That when people come into our life, that they see not us, God, but they see you. Let this world know you, not because of any scripture verses that they've read or any messages they've heard, but let the earth know who you are because they've seen our lives. They've seen how we operate as Christians, and they say, man, they know something different. They live something different. They believe something different. So we thank you, Jesus, for answering our prayer. And I pray right now, I just hear this prophetically by the Holy Spirit, that, that there's going to be dreams and visions on, 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 on your life, that those of you in this room who have never really had dreams before, that you're going to have dreams tonight, that you're going to have visions tonight, that the Lord's going to reveal himself to you in ways that you never have. I believe that some of you that haven't read your Bible in a long time, you're going to pick it up and you're just going to receive such revelation from the word of God. You're going to be just like Peter that says, just like Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but is by the spirit of God, the heavenly father revealed this to you. Holy Spirit, we receive it and we bless your holy name. We thank you. In your name I pray. Come on, everybody said. Amen. Amen. So as we close here today, amen, that's awesome. Get up from Jesus. So I'm going to invite my altar ministers to come forward. And, and just like last week, if you could kind of stand to the sides, if you wouldn't mind. And as we dismiss today, if you want to come and, and check out some of these Joshua kids that need sponsoring, we don't want to leave any of these cards up here. So let's make sure that um, by the end of March, this whole stage is empty. Amen. We're going to, we're going to empty this stage out with our Joshua kids. Um, but if you're here today... And you don't know Jesus. Hold on real, real quick. Sorry, I'm sorry. I know you guys all have somewhere to be, but if you can just, just no one moving around real quick, because I just want to ask two questions and this is really important. And so I don't want to like disturb anybody. I'm very sorry. Um, if you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him. Maybe, maybe you've, for whatever reason, walked away from him. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to know him, like really know him the way you're talking about, Pastor. This is the beautiful thing. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him. And it's not going to be hard to find him. And so if that's you, what I'm going to ask is that you would come to one of these uh, men or women up here, that they, you would let them pray with you and bless you and introduce you to the person of Jesus. And finally, you guys know my rule, that you can struggle, you can go through things in life, but you can't do it alone. So if you're going through a difficulty in your life, don't do it alone. I want you to come to the front and allow one of these incredible men and women to pray with you and bless you. Amen. All right, everybody, live right, love everyone, pray hard, and now you can leave. <laughs> Amen.